And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good. The bad. And the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing all right. Uh, how are you doing? I'm doing doing okay. I'm drinking <laughs> this. Uh, I'm drinking this Elysian uh, Hazy ninety six with a VHS on the can, which okay. I feel is very fitting for, for this today's topic. Today. Yeah, um, you teased at the end of last episode. These are mind bending sci fi films pre the Matrix. So so mm-hmm. films that were sort of on the stepping stone that led to what ultimately you know, became 1999's The Matrix. But I will kick it over to you to explain a little bit more backstory about why you chose this category, introduce the picks, and we'll get right into it. Yeah, uh, this is another one of those episodes where I chose the category because I wanted to talk about the good. Um, and I was having a hard time fitting other ep- like other movies with it. So I chose two other movies that might be interesting to talk about, although they're tangentially related at best. Um, but I think they should all still be like worth the mention and, and worth the talk. I wouldn't say that today's an oops all bangers episode, but I would say that even the bad has it has its merits. Um, I got to give it kudos where it deserves it. Um, so instead of dancing around, I'll just go ahead and, and list off what the, the picks are for today. Um, the good being Dark City from 1998, directed by Alex Proyas. The bad being Virtuosity from 1995, directed by Brett Leonard. And the what being Hologram Man from 1995, directed by Richard Pepin. Um, these movies uh, don't really have much in common. I would say the Virtuosity and Hologram Man have some things in common in, in terms of story structure and, and things that they're going on there. But I would say thematically overarching across all the movies, you know, uh, sci-fi movies in general throughout the decades will reflect much like we've talked about horror movies before will reflect, uh, the fears and the anxieties of society. Uh, sci-fi really, you know, better than really any other. Um, and in the nineties, sci-fi movies started to reflect sort of fear of emerging technologies in the form of the internet. Um, before there was, you know, there was moon men that were robots in the 1950s and sixties. And in the eighties, of course, we had the terminator with Skynet, but Skynet was not really fleshed out to the point where it was, um, you know, a global network like the internet that didn't come around until terminator two, when they really got into that explanation. And I would say most people would say that, that you know sort of uh, storyline culminated with the matrix and their um sort of representation of you know a, a second life of what the matrix was for people to be uploaded into um they really sort of perfected that but before then and some people might even say that they prefer it the year before then came dark city seems you've discovered your unpleasant nature. Who are you? 
We might ask the same question. Yes. Sleep. Now. Um, I don't want to speak for you. I won't give my opinion up top. I will ask you first off, Dark City, uh, do you have a history with it? Do you have, like, what, what are your thoughts on it? Just basic ones. I mean, I don't have a huge history with it. I watched it, like, once upon a time. Um, you know, sometime probably in, like, the 2000s, maybe early 2010s. Mm. And then I rewatched it for this podcast. So sure. I, d- I don't have a, a huge history uh, with it. Um, but, yeah, I think there's a, definitely a lot of overlap to get into. Like, not just in story, but I know that uh, because this movie, as well as The Matrix, shot at the Fox Studios in Sydney, Australia... They even reused some of the sets for the Matrix, mm-hmm. um, specifically the the rooftops, like the rooftops that when Trinity runs and jumps off of in the Matrix are reused from Dark City. Right, um, right. But the, the Wachowski script for the Matrix has been floating around well before Dark City was made. So it's just like it's one of those sort of like things splitting of the atom things where Mm -hmm. it's like it's a deep impact armageddon situation where like two movies came out around the same time that just happened to be kind of similar thematically but you know one of course went off to be this uh game-changing like massive success zeitgeist uh like lightning rod and the zeitgeist and then one of them kind of just fizzled out Um, yeah so i know i definitely know that people who are hardcore fans of this movie will be like man fuck the matrix like the dark city like god did it before and like you like what you like i'm not like i shouldn't say that but i just (laughs) like i know people like that uh oh sure uh, you know and so you you hear that sentiment from time to time yeah i the i mean the similarities are pretty striking i mean when you when you watch the movies you're like hmm that's some pretty coincidental uh parallel thinking but like you said the the script for the matrix had been you know workshop for a long time alex proya started writing the script for dark city in about 1991 and he had gone through several drafts himself so it really does seem like it was just a, a case of parallel thinking uh, of them both sort of coming and like i said like it was an idea that was already sort of in the zeitgeist and just fit within the realm of sci-fi movies of the time it was just it was an idea that eventually someone was going to do and one you know was the matrix and one is not the matrix um and i i would also say that it's not really a fair comparison since i mean the matrix um is heady to an extent but i think it's mostly an action drama and they're they were pulling their inspirations pretty clearly from like Ghost in the Shell and you know animes of the era, mm-hmm. not Hong so Kong much action Hong Kong action movies. Yeah, yep. yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, Dark Dark City is much more cerebral <laughs> than The Matrix. Um, it's uh, it, it's a lot more like metaphorical. It's not as explicit in what's going on. It, well, especially it depends on really I guess which version you watched. Which yes. <laughs> I was going to ask you, I'm assuming that you watched the theatrical. You just probably streamed this from wherever it's it's online. Yeah, I did. I actually own it digitally because I think I bought Once Upon a Time like uh, like a, one of those like New Line Cinema or something like four packs or mm. Warner Brothers four packs that they I don't know if they do it anymore. They also really don't make a lot of them anymore, but they, they had the digital copy with them. So, oh. uh, so like, I, I think I can't remember the other movies that are in the pack. I don't even know if I have the pack anymore, but, uh, but I do, I had it in my iTunes. So I'm just, mm. like, I'm just going to watch whatever cut this is. 
But based on the running time, I was like, okay, this is the theatrical. Oh, and the fact that they, you know, give away the entire mystery well, they in the spoil first it in the first <laughs> ten seconds of the goddamn movie. <laughs> yes, what a great Which, studio note. I won't blame Alex Proyas for that. I do no. like. I mean, I, I guess I won't beat around the bush. I'll say I like this movie. I, I, I do. I, I have some issues with it. Um, but I, but I overall like the movie. But that's one instance where I'm like, I won't. I won't pin that blame on Alex Proyas because he was just like, okay, I'll, I'll do what you need me to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, cause I know, I know the director's cut removes that from it. So, yes. And, uh, I own the director's cut on DVD. Uh, it was a circle K purchase, uh, back in Ellensburg. <laughs> so I, once upon a time, yeah, once upon a time bought this for four ninety nine out of the rack. Uh, this and a six pack of, uh, PBR tall boys on my way home. Uh, so I still own it and I, I gave it a watch and I, I don't think I've ever seen the theatrical cut cause I, I was looking up stuff online later and people were talking about how it spoils it in the first 10 seconds. And I was like, I don't, I don't remember that. Like if I did see the theatrical cut, it was long enough ago that I don't remember that at all being in it. I've, I've always just had the, the director's cut in my mind. And that's funny. Cause I think I've only seen the theatrical cut cause that was the version hmm. that I had as well. Right. Um, but I did want to know, I mean, you know, we'll get into the movie, but it was good to know because I'm like, okay, I don't have the context context of the director's cut here. So I, I was wondering how the conversation would go. But I know when you watched it, one thing that you noted, uh, like in your notes, was that like you wished things had more time to breathe. Like this is a movie mm-hmm. that could stand to be longer. And the oh, director's yeah. cut is already longer. It's like 11 minutes longer than the theatrical. So uh, I'm... I wouldn't say I'm glad to know that's kind of a bummer, but it's also like, you know, knowing that it's like, okay, probably not too much horribly changed from cut to cut because you feel that in the theatrical too, where you're like, I really love a lot of these concepts and I really love the striking visuals and I like some of these performances and I love how, you know, it integrates, you know, much like the matrix integrates various genres. Like you said, you know, the matrix was like heavily action and Hong Kong cinema inspired and like the wire work uh, Mm -hmm. and the martial arts and you know the matrix also you know had a budget even though it was smaller ish than what we're you know known for big budget movies now the matrix i think had a 69 million dollar budget which is three times the size of dark city so yes what alex Proy has accomplished with what he had was certainly a lot um and you know the way this movie also infuses like like film noir into it this is like a better version of reminiscence which we talked about a couple weeks ago i thought about the movie a lot because this movie's very wet and rainy and Mm -hmm. and dark darkly like lit like Mm -hmm. i I was like i was like oh man this is the movie that lisa joy and jonathan nolan were trying to chase to to unsuccessful results but you're probably (laughs) right they definitely were trying to recapture some of the magic of dark city because i I think for me, number one, you're right, is the the look of Dark City, of the setting, is incredible. I mean, I mean, not even just for the time. I would say, like, overall, the the set design, everything in it is the, the just, just the miniatures, the sets themselves, but then also how everything that's in the movie is very anachronistic, where you have mm-hmm. things that are, like, 1920s uh, Art Deco stuff, like, lifted straight out of Bioshock sort of looking but then he goes by a like neon lit 50s style diner um he himself is dressed and and he looks like a very modern man and and so there's there's just sort of things that are like what 
time period is this? Where is this supposed to be taking place? Because we're getting some Americana. We're getting some, like, Soviet-era uh, brutalist architecture. So, like, n- all of it seems to be at odds, but then at the same time, none of it feels out of place. Mm-hmm. And it adds to the dreamlike quality of the movie itself, which th- th- some of the stuff that we talk about, I feel like it could have breathed a lot more. I think that's a lot of the scenes. We feel like we jump all around quite a bit uh, between the cuts. And that's one of the things where I don't know if that's, you know, they ran out of time uh, and they didn't shoot those things to fill those gaps in or if they're purposely trying to lean into the the dreamlike quality where you'll you'll just jump space and time and it doesn't have to make sense because it's a dream. So right. it's hard for me to even hold that against the movie. Uh, it's more just wishful thinking on my part. Totally. I, I think, well, I mean, maybe the one thing uh, that could have helped, because I, I I think that's a fair assessment. I didn't even really think about that until you brought that up. But I think that's 100% a fair assessment to say, because we, you know, we know, I mean, I'm, we'll say spoilers for Dark City if you haven't sure. seen the movie. It's worth checking out. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, but when we find out that it's like the they're changing the layout of the city and like the time and the space like at night. Um, and then you're, you know, somewhere new. I think like that disorienting feeling is probably by design. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I think where I come down and, and that's, so that's not necessarily a knock, like you said, but I think if I had more attachment to like emotional attachment to like the narrative going on, like I don't mm-hmm. really have a lot of attachment to art to Rufus Sewell in this movie. And I think that's a, like, that's a, that's definitely a blocker. Like I, I love so much about the movie, but I just think Rufus Sewell's a bit of a wet blanket in the movie. Like, <laughs> unfortunately, and part of that's also by design. Like, it's it's mm. tough, right? Because it's like he's he wakes up with no memory, um, and he's trying to pick the pieces and put them together. Um, so it's like, of course, he's disoriented and confused. But I, do, I still feel that there's like a, just a bit of a there's a bit of a void there that like I I needed something or I needed like. In additional, I, I we I needed a Rudger Hauer in Blade Runner. I guess is what I'm saying, like because Deckard's <laughs> well, not, always need a Rudger Hauer. I well, mean, right, <laughs> but you know what I mean, like because Deckard's not the most interesting character in the movie. Yes, he's our mm-hmm. vessel into the world, but he's like not that interesting. He's just sort of like fixing it. But you know, Roy Batty mm-hmm. is of course an interesting character of just like all he wants in this life. He's like you know completely empathetic because all he just wants in this life is to live another day, and so it's like you have that like anchor. And I think, you know, even, like you said, the production design is incredible. And, like, Alex Proyas, like, you know, man, really spotty filmography. But, like, the guy definitely has a vision for the things that he wants to do. And he certainly chases it. And, and of course, like, his big claim to fame at the start was The Crow, uh, which also has an incredible production design and incredible, like, gothic aesthetic. But, like, there's no Brandon Lee in this movie. Like, Brandon Mm -hmm. Lee is, like, engaging and, like his story is so like harrowing and sad and you're just like you're emotionally invested you're invested when he fucks people up like throughout Mm -hmm. the entire movie whereas like something like dark city i just don't have that investment even though i'm very appreciative of everything stylistically thematically that it's trying to accomplish yeah and i think that's for me it makes it such I'm torn on the movie. I honestly am. I, I would fall on the side of it being good, which is why it's in the good in our category today. But the the issues that it does have are glaring issues. And for me, it just kind of comes down to frustrations mm-hmm. where it's like 
you know, you nailed the feeling, the tone of the movie, the look of the movie. Even some of the characters are interesting. It's just Keeper the, Sutherland. For, Keeper for Sutherland me. is interesting. Yeah. Um, uh, Mr. Hand uh, is interesting. Richard like O'Brien. He, <laughs> right, Richard O'Brien. Who's basically just playing riffraff. But <laughs> Which, I, cool. I, I was hoping, I was waiting for him to break into song. But uh, My, my um, headcanon is that they play Time Warp when they change the city. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that cut has to exist somewhere. Oh, Somebody's there's no way that. someone hasn't done it. Um, but... Uh, it's even even that has sort of like a shortcoming to it because Mr. Hand is sort of set up to be our um, our Agent Smith uh, to, to to back to to the Matrix. Like he's he's part of this evil organization, but he himself becomes personally invested and obsessed with this mission of of uh, theirs. Which I mean, I haven't really gotten into the uh, uh, plot at all. I should probably just just uh, get into that. Basically, the movie is that uh, Richard Sewell, uh, Sewell, who plays John Murdoch, uh, he wakes in a, a dirty bathtub in a broken down hotel room next to a dead lady. He doesn't know how he got there. He doesn't know what his name is. And he receives a phone call that basically tells him they're coming. Um, the rest of the movie is sort of a slow pursuit through the streets of Dark City um, by these uh, people, as far as we can tell, these otherworldly people called the Strangers. Um, and as the movie goes on, Richard, um, or sorry, Rufus Sewell starts to notice that the sun is not coming up anymore. Um, and it just gets weirder and weirder and weirder from there. So setting all this up for it to be i mean we really do have a setup for a hero's journey you know whereas neo has to slowly find himself as being the one uh rufus has to find himself as like he being john murdoch he's some sort of next step in the human evolution in that he has the same ability uh called tuning uh to where he can change his environment around him which it just feels more like dream logic um, it, where, you know, if you become a, uh, is it an active dreamer or, uh, I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Something, something like that. There's, there's some level of dreaming that you can become aware that you are dreaming and it doesn't wake you up. You're actually able to change the environment around you, uh, in your dreams. And it's, I don't there is a term for it, but that's what it felt like to me. I mean, ultimately the movie doesn't pull the, the, rug out from under you and say it was a dream the whole time like we really are in a sci-fi world and i did i respected that i really did like that but i think even in like the final sort of act of the movie when it becomes a telekinesis battle um with these low rent cenobites um i i was just like i found this more interesting when it was a scary dark pursuit through the streets um, from the Cenobites, then rather them shouting at each other in their weird um, Joel Schumacher Batman set uh, that they found here <laughs> underground. It does kind of look like the Batcave from uh, from like the Joel Schumacher Batman, mm-hmm. or or like that uh, the uh, the lair that like Poison Ivy and Bane find in Batman and Robin, like that abandoned like structural building with the guys who have like the glow in the dark paint yes. on them. Yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yeah. You know, you know the one. Um, yep. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah that's 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 another thing too it's like it does kind of like the matrix you know it does i wouldn't say devolve because when the matrix ramps up it's like the matrix is incredibly satisfying you know mm-hmm. what i mean like and yes this movie's headier but like the matrix the matrix 
is very exposition heavy, but you know exactly what's at stake by the time it gets to the the last 40, 50 minutes of the movie. Oh, sure. Um, you know, or even a movie like Inception does that. Like, it was years later, but same. Like, people always talk about Inception as, like, very exposition heavy and, like, very on the nose. Or people who critique Inception. And it's like, yeah, but you know exactly what's happening at any given time after that fact like it helps like it's it's a it's a trade-off and i'm not saying this movie is confusing it's really not it's just that when it does get into the action portion like it's sort of like it is kind of unsatisfying unfortunately like where like those two movies sort of ramp up and this movie kind of sort of fizzles out and then um you know and then if we're talking about like who ripped off who again i don't really care right like everyone takes something from whatever but like be the ending of this movie if you want to get into it really takes from the truman show um like the, like the shot in the mm-hmm. sun when he introduces reintroduces himself to jennifer Connolly after uh you know she's been like changed in their world and no longer has the memory that she had i was like and the way he's like opening the door and the like from the dark city i was like this looks like the end of the truman show when he runs into Mm -hmm. the set like (laughs) so um yeah i think like but again i think it goes to that emotional core for me i don't want to i don't want to speak for you but for me it's that emotional core i'm like if i was invested in like rufus sewell and jennifer Connolly's like relationship if i was invested in that aspect the way you are with like Neo and Trinity, then I would be able to like, then it wouldn't matter. I would have been engaged in it. But the fact that it's like, I I'm like, I see the beats that you're hitting, but it's like, they're just, they're not quite hitting for, for me. But, um, you know, I could have used more scenes like that one scene where it does slow down where they're in like a gondola and it's like Rufus Sewell and Kiefer Sutherland and, um, William Hurt William and mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, they're sort of like the three of them contemplating their, like like that sort of like come to Jesus moment of like what's happening in this world and they're sort of like just pawns in this greater game and it's like oh man I could have used more scenes like that um, would have really like helped I think I think honestly for me it, it would have been helped greatly if William Hurt would have made it through the whole movie um, yes because I I loved his character arc of being the the gumshoe um like sort of like closed-hearted detective who's just uh, he's turned his back on the world and he's cold and he's you know too old for this shit and then him to slowly kind of come out of that and start to believe in something again believe in something greater than himself i was like i love this he's not the main character but every time he's on screen we do see this growth and we see this arc in this character and i i loved it and I kind of wanted to see him be the one at the end, like even just give him uh, a, a moment like at the end of Die Hard, like let him shoot, uh, like get the last bullet off to save uh, Rufus Sewell. Like he should have had some sort of redemptive arc like that to where he's sort of the linchpin that makes sure that he rests, uh, you know, uh, victory back from the jaws of defeat. But they kind of like threw him off the edge of the world literally um for the sake of the exposition uh, of that scene and it was like oh that's kind of a waste to build that character up for that long and get me really invested in it just for like sort of a kind of a poopy little shot um i know it sounds like i'm i'm browbeating my my good pick and i am a little bit but that that's why like it's a movie i'm of two minds about it where i appreciate and love so much about it that just makes me really concentrate on its flaws because I'm like, you know, we were this close to greatness. Like, yes, very close. And that and, and it makes it a frustrating movie. But again, I think it's worthwhile because 
you know, I, I think that's that's the one thing I feel like we should we should stress before we ultimately pivot into our next couple movies here is like the movie I mean the movie obviously has its its following, right? There are like people who like adore this movie and uh I I understand it's such a unique world and a unique vision and it's certainly um like really original in, in the mm-hmm. way that it's presented. I just think like like you said, there's just like because of all of that you like do notice the flaws a bit more and that is frustrating but i still think like i enjoyed rewatching it like no question like i had oh, yeah. i had a good time rewatching it the movie's like visually incredible um and it moves too like i mean well like we said like you know it does cut maybe even move the clip to its detriment but um the theatrical cut's only 100 minutes long so it's like um uh, i think is it the theatrical cut of this might be our shortest movie of the the three. So inexplicably, so yeah, I somehow, think so. yeah, I think I think hologram man's like a minute longer for for whatever reason. So um, uh, it had too much; it, it couldn't fit it in, into any shorter of a movie. <laughs> that is true, um, but yeah, I would I would recommend Dark City for sure, especially oh, if course. you haven't seen it. Like it's it's a really solid movie, and like I said, Alex Proyas, hit or miss, but like. The dude has a vision for what he wants to do. You know, it's like I'd recommend this. I'd especially recommend The Crow if you haven't seen that. Somehow, mm-hmm. The Crow is just one of my one of my favorites, like an all timer. Um, if you're gonna vibe a bit, I would cautiously recommend Gods of Egypt, but okay. uh, <laughs> with uh, with Gerard Butler and uh, Jamie Lannister, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's a uh, Gods of Egypt is an experience. I will I will say that. Okay, um, so. Haven't seen it myself, but now I'm intrigued. Um, and yeah, absolutely, especially if you can find the director's cut. Uh, you know, it's on uh, streaming. Like you can rent it on mm-hmm. Prime Video. I did see that that it was there. So okay, you, you know, you could you you have your op. The world is your oyster. <laughs> you have your option between the theatrical and the director's cut. Fairly accessible. Well, don't take my word for it. This was Roger Ebert's favorite movie of 1998. Um, he's yes. on the DVD, like on, on the behind the scenes thing. Like he came in to be like, uh, just in case you didn't know, I fucking love Dark City. And just gushed <laughs> about it the whole thing. And it was it was kind of awesome to see him because they were talking to Alex Proyas and they were talking to Rufus Sewell. And I'm like, oh, yeah, they're talking to the actors. And then just Roger Ebert comes up and he's just like, this movie's the fucking bomb. And you're like, whoa, shit. I wasn't expecting Roger Ebert to drop by. He was a huge about it. champion of Proyas. I remember mm-hmm. my jaw hitting the floor because like I used to live for you know, like when reviews would come in for a movie and I, especially mm-hmm. like Roger Ebert would be one of the first ones I would read. My jaw hit the floor with his review for 2009's knowing, uh, that he gave oh, four st- Nick cage. Yes. He gave four stars to that. Like, and I was like, Oh man. Oh well. buddy. <laughs> it's, it's on the list for our show. Knowing is on there and, uh, you can probably guess which category it's in. Yeah, I mean, Roger Ebert was in the minority on that one, but who knows? I haven't I seen might it. be as well, because I like knowing. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen it since 2009, so I would be oh, curious to I, revisit I might it. need to bump that up by uh, a couple of weeks <laughs> to get us back on the knowing train. I'm all for it. No, I, I absolutely. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, but... Yeah, I think I'm trying to think. I feel like Alex Proyas had like one other movie that I would like recommend. Um, I, I should have his IMDb pulled up, but I I don't unfortunately. Well, I I do have his IMDb pulled up, and I I do know that he's got 
Uh, iRobot, of oh, course. Oh, that's right. I've actually never seen iRobot. Because um, uh, I've heard it's not very good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I wouldn't say rush out and watch it. It's it's fine. Yeah, that's kind of what I got from it. So I guess uh, no, me. I think that's just as of now. I know he did. He's done so many shorts and music videos. Oh um, yeah, you know. So it's like I'm like, oh, he's directed 34 movies, but it's like he's really only directed like a handful of features. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, I think like for me, it was literally just Dark City, The Crow. And then, uh, you know, Gods of Egypt, which probably also coming soon to a good, bad, what? <laughs> oh, and, it good. Is, and it is the what. No matter what category it is, it's a it's a what. I can't believe that movie exists. <laughs> uh, I'm excited for it. I remember the ad campaign for it, and and then and then it just disappeared. Uh, oh, it tanked horribly, but uh, you know, uh, it's it's amazing in its own <laughs> uh, in its own way. Um, you know, with the uh, Gerard Butler playing Jamie Lannister's uncle, despite the fact that they're like three years apart or something like that. Mm. <laughs> anyway. Uh, oh, oh, casting. Oh, casting. Well, speaking um, of casting. Oh, yes. Speaking of casting, uh, I guess. Yeah. Uh, we'll just end the discussion on Dark City. Like, is it like not a lot to gush about, but a love to appre- a lot to appreciate and adore. Um, please give it a watch. Um, what I can't recommend as much um and yes speaking of casting as 1995's virtuosity his name is sid sid 6.7 sadistic intelligent dangerous computer composite of 183 serial killers. I have to shut you down. I will not be shut down. But now he's leaving the virtual world for hours. Welcome to the real world. Uh, do, do we, we can start with, with general thoughts again. Uh, what are your general thoughts on, on virtuosity? Is it your second time watching this? This is my second time watching this okay. movie. Yeah. Um, and I, I was... Uh, I had no idea, like, when you first watched it. I know it was your second time watching it as well, but I know, like, you... I don't want to put words in your mouth, and I want you to be able to elaborate, but I know you warmed up to it a little bit more this time. But I was really shocked how not down you were with it, because this is, of course, from director Brett Leonard. It's it's a Brett Leonard joint. (laughs) Who did The Lawnmower Man, which is, I think, one of our longest episodes to date, I want to say, when we talk about The Lawnmower Man. (laughs) Um, I could talk about the Lawnmower Man forever, so oh, I'm not surprised. I know. You did. Uh, <laughs> we have the it's evidence. Back, uh, it's, episode, it's like episode nine, I think. Somewhere, uh, it's super, superpower slashers, whatever this is. Yeah, yeah. I, I can find the exact one. But it's 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 there, and so I I think I brought it up even in that episode where I was like, oh, you got to watch Virtuosity with Denzel Washington and Russell Crowe, and um, yeah, I remember you like not being so high on it. For me, I was probably less high on it this time but i i I kind of enjoy it in a charmingly dated way um it's not a it's a frustrating movie even more frustrating than dark city as evident by its sort of placement in this episode Mm -hmm. i think because i think because the cast of the movie is so strong and the movie had a much bigger budget probably a bigger budget than um 
Dark City probably had a bigger budget than Lawnmower Man. Oh, it Man. did. In fact, in fact, I know it had a bigger budget than Lawnmower Man. Um, you know, Denzel was an Oscar-winning actor once over by this point. So, um, you know, they had Denzel money to, to spend for this. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I think the thing is, like, the movie, my issue with uh, Virtuosity, as, as fun as it can be at times, is that the intro or the first act let's say the first act of the movie because i'd say like the first 20 minutes are the most interesting things about the movie and then it becomes a pretty generic like chase movie through the rest Mm -hmm. of it when it posits the virtual world like which is sort of the focus of this episode i think all that stuff is like it's dated but it's but it's done in a way that at least was like i find this world fascinating and then when, uh, once again, spoilers for Virtuosity, uh, you know, enter enter at your own risk. I, I I wouldn't say that I recommend it, but I wouldn't stop you if you wanted to watch it either. <laughs> like, I, I found enough to enjoy. But I, I do think that once uh, Sid 6.7, uh, is it 6.7? Is this, is, it's 6.7, uh, and I have a uh, just a really quick pet theory for that. I think it's 6.7 because it's supposed to be 6.66. And if you round it up to the 10th uh, decimal point, it's 6.7. Man, that Brett Leonard, he's just so, uh, so, I mean. so heady, man. He's so <laughs> ahead of his time. Um, <laughs> but oh, I didn't even think of that. You're, you're, I think you're right. I think you're 100% onto something. Uh, once he breaks out into the real world, the movie ceases to be less in, like ceases to be oh, interesting. Yes. That's that's my my biggest issue with the movie is like yes, Russell Crowe is hamming it up, and we'll get into oh boy. The, the performances, and and it's it's uh it's something to behold. But it's like that can only get you so far. Um, and so I think like when it, I I feel like probably because of budgetary reasons, like I said, it had a big ish budget, but probably not big enough. To do a whole movie in the virtual world. I mean, we saw that in Lawnmower Man, too. Like, we mm-hmm. only see snippets of that. And so it's like, we get a full-on virtual, um, like, police raid in the first, like, five minutes of this movie. And it's far and away the best thing about it. Oh, by um, far. And then, like, and then because of, like, budget reasons, they're like, well, we gotta find a way to bring them into the real world. Now we just gotta r- run around L.A. <laughs> For the rest of the movie. <laughs> yeah, and so it's it's a bit of a disappointment because it doesn't really it's not that exciting of a chase movie. No. But as a as a as as that sort of like dot com era fears, I, I think it, it implements it well at the start. And I wouldn't even say it doesn't backtrack on it. It just becomes a less interesting movie when it becomes a more conventional movie. So I went on too long. What are your thoughts on Brett Leonard's virtuosity? I would 100% agree with everything that you already said. Uh, just a few figures here while you were talking. I, I was able to look up and see that the budget for uh, Virtuosity was $30 million, uh, which is lower than I thought it was, honestly. So, I yeah, mean, they, same. they were able to do some stuff with that $30 million, but it is of note that Lawnmower Man's budget was $10 million. So, I mean, triple the budget. This is what Brett Leonard does with it. I personally, and I know that I'm, like, by far in the minority on this one, I prefer Lawnmower Man to Virtuosity. <laughs> Um, it that is also episode eleven. So if you have like eight hours to kill, you can go back and listen to episode eleven um, and and hear me talk ad nauseum about the lawnmower man. But this movie, you're absolutely correct that uh, starting with sort of training ground that takes place inside of 
a virtual world, which is straight up the Matrix. That's mm-hmm. how they use the Matrix as a, a sort of training ground. They run their simulations in there. Um, so I, I'm just trying to have a through line for the episode, any way that I can relate the movie back to the Matrix. Then I can pretend like that was my idea all along. Um, but <laughs> I want to just get through the actual like overarching sort of plot of the movie. So in the distant future of 1999, the LAPD are working on virtual reality technology that can be used to train new detectives. To create the most dangerous opponent, they combine psychological profiles of the world's most evil people into a single AI, SID 6.7, played by Russell Crowe. Unfortunately for them, Sid has escaped into the real world, and it's up to ex-cop Parker, played by Denzel Washington, to put a stop to him. Um, that is another thing uh, that's from The Matrix, uploading personalities and, and memories and things into people's brains in order to give them new skills and whatnot. Um, unfortunately for this movie, Sid 6.7 is nowhere near as interesting as that setup makes him sound. Um He's, I mean, Russell Crowe is, is, of course, putting on a stellar performance and, and, and unknown at the time, Russell Crowe, I might add as well. Um, oh, the lines, like some of the lines, I have them pulled up here. Uh, oh, involved, good, good. Uh, involved, uh, uh, just because I'm carrying around the joy of killing your family inside me doesn't mean we can't be friends. Or, <laughs> yep. hey, buddy, how's the life and kid? Still dead, huh? <laughs> like, it's a sick burn. <laughs> He's going for it, uh, like, unquestioned, which is like, you know, and, and honestly, they're a formidable pairing against each other. Oh, Denzel sure. And Russell Crowe, so much so that Ridley Scott cast them opposite each other again for 2007's American Gangster, only they decided to flip them right. uh, with Denzel Washington playing the villain and Russell Crowe playing the hero, which just shows their, you know, range, just range as, as terrific actors, which I think just makes the movie all the more this movie all the more frustrating, like having that hindsight hindsight context of being like, now I've seen these two in another movie by like a master filmmaker and mm-hmm. it like turned out way better. I mean, I guess shocker, but, uh, you know, but it's just one of those things where you're just like, oh, man, this could have been such a such a like such a I, I don't know, it could have been such a firecracker of a movie, but I feel like the script is so generic from like that chase movie and like getting revenge standpoint. Like I felt bad for Denzel who's usually like charismatic and I wouldn't say he's not in this movie, but he's very like sort of just like he's very low energy compared to what we're used to seeing from Denzel. And so that was something that took me by surprise. Well, he's, he's very low energy, very sleepy through the movie. And I, I've never, and maybe this is just me. I, I've never seen Denzel as an action star. I he he definitely can have like a strong persona on screen. I mean, like I would think about something like Training Day or whatever. But I wouldn't consider Training Day an action movie. Like there's action no. in the movie, but definitely not to this degree. Like in this this movie ends with Denzel going full Bruce Willis and Die Hard, like swinging on ropes outside of buildings and crashing through plate glass windows and doing all that shit. And I've always seen Denzel as more of a like uh, a, a very intimidating presence on screen, where it's just like, well, nobody like wants to fuck with this guy, so it's not going to get to the point where we're doing high flying stunts because nobody wants to raise a hand to him, unless well, I'm gotta, completely forgetting a movie. 
Well, I mean, I would say 1991's Ricochet, which definitely coming which soon. Which I haven't to a good seen, bad. so maybe that's yes, on me. Coming coming soon to a good bad what near you, because that's amazing. <laughs> God tier John Lithgow villain performance in that movie. It's oh, incredible. I love Lithgow, though. Okay. Oh, it's so good. Ricochet is amazing. Like, I would recommend that movie a hundred times over to, to virtuosity. But I mean, like, the whole, I would even argue the whole back half of, like, Tony Scott's career with, like, Man on Fire and Deja Vu and, um, un, uh, uh, I just said unbreakable, not unbreakable, unstoppable. I was uh, like, what was the movie that starts with an S? Uh, Samson. Uh, and again, well. haven't seen, haven't seen, haven't seen. So uh, <laughs> Shit, maybe okay. this is just on me. I've only seen the movies where Denzel is like an intimidating badass well, that nobody would want to fuck with. Uh, well, I guess, yeah, I was say, you've seen the Equalizer. Well, I've seen the Equalizer. Because <laughs> we talked about that on I, episode I also two. wouldn't say that that's an action movie. He, like, ah, I, the... The final part is, I guess, kind of an action movie, but he's not doing John McClane shit in it. No, he's doing uh, uh, Kevin McAllister. He's doing Kevin McAllister shit. <laughs> Equal. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, yeah, go back to episode two. We definitely didn't have our footing on this podcast at that point, I, but but the Equalizer still is don't probably <laughs> more so now. But uh, I would argue. But yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I had no problem buying him as the action star in it. But again, that's a difference of our uh, mm. context going into this movie. So I, I won't, you know, fault that by any stretch. I, I think it was just for me that he just, again, he doesn't have, he's solemn, somber guy whose family has been murdered and I'm only out for vengeance. And like, um, and it's just like, there's just none of that like Denzel charisma that we're used to seeing Mm-hmm. in it and i think that really like drags it down especially when you have russell crowe who's just off the chain um because Boy. i don't even think i don't even think we've gotten into the the sort of uh f- the, the code that makes up sid 6.7 um, no the fact no, we that haven't. he's he's made up of uh what is it 150 different serial killer profiles something um, like that yeah and but, the three the three main ones so we get like the introduction in just a a glorious glorious rendering like cartoon rendering of floating heads where the first head is hitler uh giving a sp- like just playing a recording from one of the like nazi rallies in like 1939 and then we see uh john wayne gacy is main personality number two wearing the pogo the clown makeup and then we see the third one is charles manson and then we cut to a head and i don't it's a floating head and i couldn't see what the personality was because i was too distracted by the fact that there was a giant blue laser beam just shooting out of its mouth and then like that's how they sort of like display that the personalities are connected as they show these heads shooting blue laser beams out of their mouth and then they morph into one singular head that grows and shrinks and show and like it 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 flips through a list of names there's a full list of names on on uh on imdb so if you're like curious about it you can go to to there to see the whole thing but like there's literally like david koresh uh eileen wernos peter sutcliffe ted bundy like there's there's some people that are named in there that are just all these different sorts of personalities and then you see like when you actually see him on screen you're like you know what for having all those personalities like inside of that one dude's head 
pretty well put together. He's actually he's actually doing okay. He's able to dress himself just fine. Uh, he, he's getting around. Relatively speaking, yeah. And I guess, I mean, I know we didn't really um, set up what is, like, the conflict, I, I guess, here. Sure. That's okay. I guess to, to speed round through it, Denzel's character starts in prison. He's in prison even though he's an ex- police officer and he's in mm-hmm. prison because he killed the person who murdered his wife and daughter it's a very it's a very end of days situation i thought of end mm-hmm. of days a lot actually while watching this movie i would still recommend this over end of days but um but it's not a not a flattering comparison so he's sure. in prison because he killed uh he acted outside the law to kill the the guy who killed his wife and kid um and they are use they're experimenting with this uh technology uh like this this like virtual reality headset technology and so they use Denzel and another inmate um and the other inmates like brain f- completely fries kills him mm-hmm. in this like virtuosity like they they pull that's like once they pull them out they're like shaking and seizuring out of the thing uh you know Denzel's able to be stabilized but the other person dies um meanwhile like mad scientist guy enlists uh uh, Kevin J. O'Connor. Uh, this movie is also stacked to the gills with character actors. Oh, on yeah. top of that, enlist Kevin J. O'Connor, who who reminded me, if you want to do your Matrix through line a little bit, reminded me of Cipher a, a bit from the standpoint of he's got he's got this like hot babe like Playboy uh, a woman program that he's like infatuated with, and it's like he'd almost rather live into that program where it's like Cipher also knowingly he's like I know this isn't a real stake, but my brain mm-hmm. tells me it's a real stake like. I was reminded of that. Moment. Ignorance so, is bliss. Exactly. So that's that's. But uh, anyway, mad scientist guy enlists Kevin J. O'Connor to uh, basically unleash Sid out into the real world. And in that scene that you're describing, after Sid's raising havoc, and they look through all these serial killer profiles, somehow the one that pops up is the guy. Like this is the guy who killed Denzel's yes. wife and kid, and that's the one that takes like prominence. Because the plot tells it it has to. Because it has um, to, yeah. You know, and so, like, that's that's where, because the guy, the way the guy is talking, the way he's sort of toying with Denzel, he, Denzel quickly realizes something's up because he's like, this sounds familiar. This, like, I know this, this person. He uses his catchphrase. Like, this one's for you, I think is yes. the one that he says for it. Yeah, yeah. Yep, that's what it is. And so, anyway, once he's wreaked havoc into the real world, Denzel receives a full pardon uh, and then, you know, is, is tasked with going and, and catching him. Um, but then, I mean, on top of the full pardon, there's like there's shit that's injected into the script that I feel like the screenwriter obviously is, is taking inspiration from other stories that they've heard. And I, I do want to call them out, the screenwriter. Uh, and I didn't say give them credit. I want to say call them out uh, is Eric Burnt, um, who, who is the screenwriter for this, because they they float a pardon for him. And then after they float a pardon for him, they're like, well, we need to make sure that we have a tracker on you at all times. So we need to inject you in the neck with this little small bead uh, that that's going to tell us where you are at all times. And it's not until later on in the movie, spoilers for virtuosity, it's not until later on in the movie where they say that there's a small little pin drop size capsule of poison in there. And that if he like, you know, goes off track or goes rogue or whatever, then they can just virtually kill him. And I'm like, okay. That's just the plot from Escape from New York. Yeah, thank um, glad you brought that up. I totally <laughs> forgot that there was that element in the movie. Uh, but yes. needlessly so, because it's resolved within, like, 
within like five minutes. He's yes. he's told by um, Sid, who catches him. Uh, uh, he's been arrested. He uh, had accidentally killed somebody in you know, the line of what he was doing. He shot a lady. Or uh, it's very very convoluted. He shot at Sid. Sid had actually shot the lady. The cops thought that he was that. Denzel was responsible for shooting a lady, so he got arrested. There's a whole lot of stupid bullshit and politics and fakeouts that are happening throughout the whole movie that are used for the purpose of extending the chase between these two characters when the chase doesn't even necessarily need to be happening. Like, there's no reason why Denzel needs to be the one going after him. It's not like Sid's hiding. Like, that, they, they set up pretty early on. Sid escapes. He goes to a nearby house, and he kills the people in the house. And then he he paints on the wall uh, something about pigs or little piggies. And it's supposed to be an allusion to the fact that Charles Manson is one of the personalities inside of him. So for me, I'm like, oh, okay. So the 150 serial killer personalities that are inside of him are going to slowly manifest. And so it's going to be, like... You know, you thought it was hard to catch one serial killer before. Try being such a, a, a talented detective that you're going to have to catch 150 serial killers in one case. Like, this is going to be really hard to follow all the evidence and get all the leads and, and find your man. But, like, that is the only kill in the entire movie that is cribbing from, like, a true crime case. Like, the, the fact that all the other personalities are in there go out the window. He just takes on the prominence of the one that killed Denzel's family from that point on. And then he's just going to public arenas where there's fights going on and shoots a dude in the face. Or, well, it's because he gets off on the fact that, like, people are watching in, like, in mass. Because then when he's at, like, the Chinatown market, yes. he sees himself on the TV and is like, you know, I gotta do th- I gotta do this more. I don't remember what his line is, but he's basically like, I gotta do this more because, like, it is feeding into my, like, desires. But, yeah, and it tosses yeah. all of that shit out the window. Like, from that point on, it doesn't matter that he has all those personalities in in him, and he's doing it as publicly as possible. So it doesn't have to be Denzel. Literally every cop in the city will know where he's at because he's on camera just shooting people out in the open. Like, somebody will just get the guy. Yeah. <laughs> so well, it's also, like, it, also why, why even design this program in the first place? That was a thing I had a hard time... Well, as I was watching this movie, because I'm like, I usually don't nitpick like that. I could usually, like, ride with it, but I'm just like... Why would you design a, a program with the personality profile of 150 different serial killers? Right. Like, <laughs> like, I don't. What purpose does this serve? Is it a training? Because that doesn't seem like it makes a whole lot of sense. But uh, I, don't I mean, know. and I could see, like, I could see in its infancy the idea, right? Sure. Because so, what if, what if there was a virtual reality program where you're trying to to train detectives? And you broke down the personality profiles of 150 serial killers, but then you made 150 scenarios with all of those separate personalities, and you put the detectives into the virtual world, and, like, you need to solve the crimes of Jack the Ripper, of Ted Bundy, of... So, like, they need to follow real-world crimes and see if they can catch this killer... And then, you know, some serial killer simp, which they do exist, unfortunately, takes all those personalities, combines them into one uber killer, and then, you know, lets it loose on the world. That would make more sense. But we start from point A, where they're all crammed into one program that doesn't act really like any of those known personalities that we know. So there's no point in them even being in there. And then... 
it's just it's just a chase movie. Like it completely ignores the premise that is built at the very beginning. Yes, I I think my favorite dumb slash favorite thing I have to point out and oh. uh, is is how Denzel figures this out through the fact that in that initial um like uh, in the virtual world like raid that the building he's in is the the colon and uh, uh, semicircle uh, smiley oh, face from yeah. an e- email signature. People used to s- sign their emails like that. Yeah. <laughs> they still do. They still do. And this is supposed to take place in the distant future of 1999. It's just like, dude, we still do colon parentheses. It's 2023. People still do that. You put that in a slack and it just automatically makes a smiley face. People oh, yeah. still do it. It's still shorthand. Yeah. <laughs> I know that's a hindsight thing, but I was like, I was... I was busting a gut laughing at that. Yeah. That's so stupid. (laughs) But in a kind of charming way at the same time. But, uh, yeah. I, I gotta, let's rush through the end of this. There is stuff that I still want to, I still want to mention or give credence to. I gotta call out our boy William Forsythe, um, which this is two weeks in a row. We got Forsythe pictures. Um, Forsythe all day, baby. You very astutely pointed out that that Forsyth at one point in his career went from being like grimy, grubby, insane assholes to being like top brass dickheads. Um, yeah. And we're in the latter part here. He's like a top brass uh, cop. You could literally do the the office like they're the same picture meme with him and this <laughs> and him and the rock. Like it looks he, yeah. like to the point where I'm like, he's just the same character and he looks exactly the same. The same mustache, everything. It's it's it's. It's incredible, but uh, uh, he probably didn't. Cha- I mean, The Rock wasn't The Rock nineteen ninety five, uh, ninety six. So it was a year 96. after this. Okay, yeah. So I mean, yeah, he probably just didn't. He probably he walked off one movie set. and did the yeah. other movie. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but so I wanted to call out Forsyth because Forsyth gets done dirty by this movie, where he's he's sympathetic to Denzel's character. And that's something about, like, so Denzel being an ex-cop, uh, this eco-terrorist, um, that uh, Matthew Grimes is the name of this e- eco-terrorist who his main opponent was Denzel Washington. He kidnapped his wife and daughter, put them into a room, rigged them to a bomb. And when Denzel showed up to try and get them out, there was a trap to where when Denzel broke the lock, got into the door, it set off the bomb, killed his wife and daughter, and blew off Denzel's arm. Um, Denzel then goes nuts, kills all of the terrorists in the building, including Matthew Grimes. And then while in kill mode, um, a news crew, uh, whips around the corner with a camera and he turns around with a gun and shoots them still thinking that they're part of the terrorist organization. That's what gets Denzel Washington arrested. That's right. Thank you for clarifying for that. I couldn't remember what exactly it's convoluted and really stupid. And up until this point in the movie, other cops are are treating Denzel like a piece of shit. They uh, put him into the wrong wing of the hos- of the not hospital of the uh, uh, penitentiary on purpose, putting him into Gen Pop, hoping that he's going to get stabbed and killed by a fellow inmate. So we're sort of led to believe that like he's the the butcher of Bakersfield from uh, the Running Man or something. Like they think that he's done some really heinous heinous shit, and then come to find out that like he was like a target of a terrorist attack that killed his wife and daughter. That's like not his fault, but like he probably has survivor's guilt over it, lost a limb in it. And then in the chaos and havoc of a shootout with a terrorist organization accidentally killed two civilians. And they're just like, 
You piece of shit. I hope you die in prison. Like, yeah. nobody has they any empathy him, for this guy. They put him in the wrong, like you said, they put him in the wrong wing where he's got to fight, like, a white supremacist dude who, like, yeah. comes out with, like, swastika tattoos. And, I mean, yeah. Denzel beats the ever living shit out of the guy. But, like, you know. But, but then the was, cops come out and they beat the shit out of him. Yes. It's like, what is happening? <laughs> This is making any sense. <laughs> so when you when you learn that that's like the whole origin story behind like him being in prison and stuff, you're like, what the fuck sort of society is this? Like there's like z- the only person that cares about him that's part of law enforcement is William Forsythe, and even Forsythe like is not able to protect him. Like I, I even mentioned earlier, when there's like the accidental kill, Forsythe is like, you know, I gotta I gotta take him in. Um, He's he's gone rogue. He killed that woman and yada yada yada. It's from that point we learn about the poison capsule, and then when we learn about the poison capsule, um, we get a cut to there is another character actor in the movie, um, William uh, Fickner, who yep. plays Wallace. He's usually a smarmy business asshole in every movie that he's in. That's what he is in this movie as well, um, but. He's like, oh, well, you know, we have the triggers to kill him. So we're going to go into the lab and we're going to punch the code in. And then Forsyth just comes storming in. The last time we saw Forsyth on screen, he's like, you know, ah, he killed that woman. We got to bring him in. I don't have a choice. So we think that he's turned against him. And all of a sudden he comes running out of nowhere, uh, starts bashing the shit out of their equipment, hucks a chair through their screen, destroys all their equipment so that they can't remotely kill him completely cutting off that plot point that we just learned about like two minutes ago three minutes ago we just found out about it it's gone now it doesn't matter anymore Forsyth disappears from the movie until the third act when Denzel is chasing Crow uh, up through like the scaffolding of the building and they're getting in a shootout and then a helicopter comes flying in and starts shooting at Denzel Washington because they just Desperately want to kill him more than they do want to kill this terrorist who's just started Death TV and executed somebody on live television. Uh, no, shoot Denzel Washington because uh, I don't. We he's accused of shooting a woman, so he's target number one. And while they're shooting at him, Forsyth comes running up to the cops and goes, "Hey, call the helicopter down." And they go, "Yeah, all right." <laughs> they call the helicopter off. So it's like. So Forsyth is 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 he's uh, he's a Deus Ex Machina for every scene that he's in. He the he's there for plot convenience to show up to be the one to arrest Denzel and then the one to save Denzel and then he has to come save Denzel later and then he comes and saves Denzel a third time and then he just gets needlessly killed for I think they're trying to tug your heartstrings or something. I they they kill him on screen, but then you're like, well, he's a fucking non-character. Like he's he's yes. been a, a prop this whole time. It's so frustrating because you're just like, man, like, especially last week after watching Stone Cold where, like, Forsyth's, like, a fantastic, like, psychopath in the movie where you're just like, man, I know, I know you're, you were just dealt a bum ham with this. He's doing his best, oh, like, yeah. unquestionably, but yeah, it's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, and I would say every character is, is that. They, they are used for the purposes of this, the script. It's the same with the doctor who... Uh, released Russell Crowe from the from the very beginning. He releases Russell Crowe, um, has him you know get made into his like cyborg body or whatever, and then he goes and hides out in a hotel until the third act of the movie. And then he's just so giddy about all the murder that he's been doing. 
he goes out and walks to a scene where he's seen by another woman on the scene who recognizes him and then he's taken hostage so he can walk them back to the lab and release them like is all the characters in the movie are props they're not there like moved by motivations they're moved by the screenwriter and that was the number one most most frustrating thing for me is that you're doing a lot of weird goofy shit here but all of it is at the sake of lazy writing and i, I that i cannot abide Yes, absolutely. Especially when you have the opposite end of the coin that's doing weird, goofy shit, but it continues to do weird, goofy shit. But it's incredible. (laughs) It's amazing. (laughs) Um, And that might be a good, good sign, good segue, because I got nothing else to say about virtuosity to get into Hologram Man. My name is Slash Gallagher. It is a time of revolution. Come and join me in my cause. California Corporation took Los Angeles away from us. Now I'm here to take it back. A rookie sent to stop him. How do you like your first day on the job, Dakota? Asking for a war, Mr. President. All Slash Gallagher wants is power. Isn't that what this council exists for, power? I send you out to stop him. And you say he's invincible, sir. I saw Gallagher walk in flame and gunfire like it was nothing. He killed half my men. Better luck next time, buddy. But next time, he'll need more than luck. He will need time and the technology to transform himself into what the enemy has become. Um, oh my god. I need to pop another uh, VHS beer for this one. Dude, it's uh, it's finally here. I know we watched we watched Hologram Man. I looked. We watched this on our quarantine screen group last February. That's <laughs> almost a year to the day. So it's like the um, one year anniversary and and here we are talking about Hologram Man. Hologram uh, Man again. Hologram my man. Uh <laughs> Hologram my man. <laughs> No, that would be if Denzel was in the movie. Uh, oh, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, this movie's incredible. Uh, oh, yes. I won't, I won't even beat around the bush. Um, I might... It's not a better movie than Dark City. I don't want to like make stake that claim, but I think I enjoy this movie more than the other two movies that we just discussed. <laughs> I was going to say the exact same thing. Oh shit! I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal your thunder. No, no, but... no. You're not. I, I, we're doubling down on it. I, I, in in the, the traditional sense of what makes a good movie a good movie, Dark City is, I think, trying to tackle some heavier themes. It's going oh, bigger, yeah. swinging for the fences. So there's more respect for what they're doing in Dark City than what they do here. But by God, if I had a choice, like somebody held out, we're going to watch Dark City or we're going to watch Hologram Man. I I can't tell you how many repeat viewings of Hologram Man I would do before I went back to Dark City just because it's like, dude, that's a fucking roller coaster ride. I'm gonna enjoy that every time. Oh man, I own two copies of Hologram Man. Um, <laughs> this is this is not a joke. I have it on VHS and I have like a crummy like DVD of it. You had a backup copy. Yeah, I have a backup copy in case my VCR <laughs> eats it. Then I have the DVD, so I'm I'm set. I Hologram Man for life. <laughs> Oh, dude, uh, we're, uh, worth it. Uh, let me just really quickly read my synopsis that I wrote. So, uh, what do you get when you cross Demolition Man with Shocker, Dark Man, RoboCop, and Lawnmower Man? You get the single greatest action movie parody outside of Hot Shots Part 2. 
and it was done seemingly by accident. In the not-so-distant future of Los Angeles, violent criminals are forced to live out their sentences as sentient holograms uploaded to a digital prison. When supervillain Slash Gallagher, played by the film's screenwriter Evan Laurie, that will be important later, is sprung by his Saturday morning cartoon show cronies. He is now an unstoppable force wreaking havoc across the city. It's up to rookie wonder cop Dakota, played by Joe Lara, to Joe bend Lara, the rules. Yeah. Oh, is he died? Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Wow. And like a helicopter crash or something. It Holy was like, shit. It was only just like a, like two years ago, I want to say. So oh, yeah, pretty dude. recent. Oh, RIP. Well, there, there goes my hopes for a hologram man too. Um, I don't Sorry, I didn't mean to bring the room down. I don't even want to finish the rest of the synopsis. <laughs> <laughs> the cop Dakota, played by Joe Laura, RIP, <laughs> to bend the rules and bring the digitized menace to justice. Um, hologram man. I, I, do we even want to start with general thoughts on this? I mean, I don't know because I'll, my general thoughts is just like it rocks. Like, I mean, this is <laughs> this is this is the apex of PM Entertainment. Uh, PM Entertainment, for anyone who doesn't know, was a, a very famous, um, very famous like VHS. Like they they produced movies for the director video market, mm-hmm. um, and it was it was uh, Richard Pepin, the director of this movie, and Joseph Mary is the other like person who was a producer and uh, directed a lot of movies. And uh, I actually found like an archival article in Variety talking about how like when the VHS boom was really taking place in the late 80s and early 90s, like there was such a hunger for these movies to try and match their Hollywood counterparts as much as they could. And Mm -hmm. so the budgets did get bigger. I think Hologram Man, there's no exact budget, but it was probably somewhere in the three to six million dollar range. But like they were able to do that because they cast people like, you know, Joe Laura, who, like, he had a good, like, run of DTV movies, but, like, he's not a huge star. Evan Lurie as well, um, where it's, like, they'd get... I think the quote exactly was, you don't get Schwarzenegger or Van Damme, but you get the the action that's, like, we're trying to make it on par with something, like, those Mm -hmm. guys would star in. And, boy, howdy, do they match it in the action department. Everything... Holy shit, yeah. Everything that can explode does. Everything that could crash into something does um this movie is pretty much i i don't want to i'm hesitant to say non-stop action but it's kind of non-stop action like there's a couple moments where they pause to get plot through but then it's back to explosion shootout shootout explosion uh turning into a hologram two hologram <laughs> slap fight each slap other fight hologram <laughs> it's like this this movie pulls out all the stops and and the thing is like from a performance level it's like they're not half bad for what the movie needs them to do by any stretch the movie's also peppered with other like character actors you know they have their obligatory here's the one person you may know who's in the movie who shot the movie for a day which is john amos in this case yep um you know you have uh william sanderson jf sebastian from blade runner uh is in it you have tiny lister uh is in the movie as well like you have a really debo cast you got debo um (laughs) Uh, like you, you have a like I said, you have a really really good cast from top to bottom, and uh, I I I think you are a hundred percent spot on with your assessment of this is like an accidental action parody. Like it's mm-hmm. it's so over the top and so sort of blatantly built from stolen parts 
but yet it all sort of works like uh, I, oh like, yes it does like comedically or uncomedic like it, it works on many levels uh and i just had to look at the name um i mentioned i alluded to this movie last week briefly uh arabella holzbog who is in stone cold so we have another movie with oh, a stone yeah, cold yeah, yeah. alum she's the scientist lady she's joe laura's uh, uh lady friend in the the movie um so yeah we we uh but yeah i i went on too long because this is your pick what do you think of of hologram man i fucking love hologram man <laughs> yeah hologram yeah. man like if you're going to talk about <clears throat> if people talk about good bad movies this is one of those like most earnest movies like i would like put this on the level of something like action usa but action usa doesn't really have a, a plot so like if you add a super weird incomprehensible sci-fi plot to action usa that's how you get hologram man and holy shit like it's so it's so goddamn fun and like the movie starts in a shootout like we get music over credits and before the movie even starts we hear gunshots and we come into a shootout that's already in progress so you're just like okay like like balls to the wall we're just starting this with murder and not it's not just you know you said three to six million they put their money into the exact right spots in this movie it looks mint yeah like not only like they're firing blanks like left and right which is all well and good that happens in every action movie but not every action movie has robocop level fucking squibs in all of their extras, like there are blood spatters going everywhere, and they're chunky. Like they they look fan fucking tastic. And so you're like, dude, you got like bad dummy shots, flaming people, cars exploding, more more fucking blanks than you can count. It, it, it's it's just so incredible where they're like, if we're gonna do it, let's go big and do it right. And holy shit, did they do it right? Absolutely. I, I think this is this is this is when people say they like, oh, we like I like a B action movie or like I want like a cheesy action movie. Like if someone was like, where do I start? It'd be like hologram man is where yep. you start. Because <laughs> like, like start at the it, peak and then come down. Like, I was about to say it might be a detriment <laughs> to start there because it's so great. Like <laughs> they'd be chasing that dragon the rest of their lives <laughs> and you won't find it because there's no. nothing else like it. it uh, it's. No, it's 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 special. Uh, like no question asked. Uh, and like, yeah, I, I don't want to like. It would be really easy to beat by beat this, but we should like Ooh. at least start at the start for sure. Where like you said, we get into a shootout, and it's like odd already. Like the the like like the the action's incredible, but like the dynamic between so it's it's Joe Laura's uh, character Dakota, um, yeah. and he's he's a rookie in this opening. We do. It's f- his first day. It's his very first day on the job, which John Amos says like nonchalantly, like, how's your first yeah. day on the job? How's rookie? your first day, rookies? He's dodging bullets. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, and he's sort of like, uh, he's sort of like, uh, he still has like a conscious, which like does like, actually yeah. has like a payoff. Like it plays out through the rest of the movie. Oh, sure. Because like there's, they, they basically eliminate everybody uh, through like, like, oh my God, the explosions, everything in every car in the scene explodes with the, every like second rate extra being like, like yeah. diving out of the way. I think it was you recently that compared it to like Goldeneye where it's just like shooting a, a office chair and it, it turns into a fireball. Like that's... it was, 
Yes, it was cold, uh, stone cold that I mentioned yeah, that. Yeah, everything in this movie it, is just made of plastic explosive. It all blows up. But, like, you know, it shows his character has a conscience because there's one guy who's still sort of, uh, he's, like, trapped in a car with, like, that's leaking oh, yeah, uh, yeah. gas that's going to explode. And um, they're asking him, basically, because uh, Slash Gallagher, which we'll get into here very quickly, is oh, also... <laughs> The movie gets into it very quickly. Yeah. He <laughs> gets all... into it very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, like the the program that fed S- uh, uh, Sid six point seven. He's also kind of an eco terrorist, or at least like mm-hmm. a terrorist of like, like he's he's like I'm trying to like make the world a better place, like one of those like twisted ideology type of like things. Right. Um, and so he. Uh, they ask both John Amos and and Jalora ask the guy where Slash is going. Like they interrogated him, asked what Slash's plan, and he's like, you know, he's planning to kidnap the governor. He's like, I don't know when, I don't know how, and uh, like he's stuck there. And Jalora is like trying to decide, and John Amos literally he's like, fuck him, like yeah, fuck him, <laughs> let him burn. <laughs> but Jalora does save him from mm-hmm. it, and just as he saves him. We have the most jarring smash cut of all time oh. in which we're Well, introduced. I mean, it is a slow fade. I mean, it, it is a romance scene after all. So <laughs> Okay, it's slow a slow fade into hard sex. <laughs> the mo- like <laughs> like it's- late night late night uh, late '90s, early 2000s, Cinemax would have been like, "No, we can't play this. Like, this is this is far too aggressive." It's it's it's, it's like the Team America sex scene, but yes, like in real yes. life, <laughs> like with real people. <laughs> and uh, it's even better the fact that we have zero context as to who these two characters are. We haven't we met just- them yet. <laughs> and and like I said when I was when I was reading the synopsis that it was going to be important that the screenwriter is who plays uh, Slash Gallagher. Guess who wrote himself into this scene with this nude woman having hardcore sex? Uh, like we literally, it's a it's a fade into a camera that's trucking sideways uh, over like some belts. I, I thought maybe it was supposed to be like a, a 50 shades of gray, like wall of uh, sex toys. I, I decided not to pause for obvious reasons. And it like trucked along these items hanging from the wall. And I wrote all of it, like everything down <laughs> about this. So the scene begins at six minutes and three seconds in, into the movie. Um, so like that's, we're into it immediately. Um, uh, other gun belts I noted uh, and then we reveal the two characters one of them being Slash Gallagher and his lady friend who is on top of him uh, riding cowgirl and it's it's aggressive he's he's pumping uh, we can we can see everything then we do a slow fade to she's on the windowsill and <laughs> he's thrusting into her and the camera, we're getting several cuts here. We'll we'll punch in, we'll pull out, we'll, with like all sorts of angles. Oh, then we get another. Out. Oh no, no, yeah, there's no pull out in, in, in this scene. Uh, uh, and then finally, we fade to missionary position, which is the longest shot of the scene. They stay in missionary position for quite a while, and then the scene ends at six minutes and uh, forty six seconds. Um, so it's 40 seconds of just drilling 
Like the, there's there's no it's just music and pumping and you're just like what the fuck did I put like I thought this was gonna be like a cool kick-ass action movie and then what is this and it's incredible it's incredible and it's amazing it's even more amazing like the fate of his lady friend because she has like what two <laughs> lines and then D- is like does murdered. she have lines <laughs> I think she I must have missed them I don't remember the line but she says something. While they're in bed, I know she says something, and oh. he's like, "Well, time to save the world," or something. He says some like <laughs> dumb line like that. Um, but she's she's with him in the like the bus hijacking sequence, mm-hmm. but she she dies in the shootout, and then that sort of sets off his. Uh, and we get a great rage uh, like soap opera. No, oh, he's yes. like holding her. It's it, it's incredible. It's like doubly funny because this guy. It's like a weird like mixture of like so he's the screenwriter of the movie and he's also the lead villain of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, he looks like Jonathan Davis, the lead singer of Corn, <laughs> and it yes. is so much so that any if you peruse Letterbox or IMDb or any of those places, like it's not just us. Every single person will point out that this guy looks like Jonathan Davis. The the uh, uh, inspiration is uncanny, and his. Whatever sort of like outfits he's wearing look like uh like Terrence Stamps General Zod from <laughs> Superman 2. And so it's like it's just like weird like just weird uh, uh string of choices. Um yeah. and they're and they're all the right ones is is what I'm oh, trying yeah, to say. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, there, there was not a wrong turn done at, at a single point in this entire production. Um <laughs> not at all. But the movie as I sort of said in, in the synopsis there, I mentioned Demolition Man first. This movie is, like, heavily, heavily cribbing on Demolition Man. Uh, wherein Slash Gallagher, after this whole shootout in which his girlfriend dies, and the, no! And there's a very strange scene of uh, the most pointless Mexican standoff slash um, Russian roulette scene I've ever seen before like there's supposed to be tension in the scene and is it does doesn't work because the entire stakes and the rules are nonsensical I don't um, want to play this game anymore yeah <laughs> like you fucking made the rules what are you talking about you don't want to play it you <laughs> well that's a good point about demolition man because like obviously we're going to get into more similarities but demolition man mm-hmm. also starts with basically uh, downtown Los Angeles on fire Yep. And like and and then like we smash in media res to uh, Stallone base jumping out of the helicopter. Phoenix. So uh, <laughs> so you're not. I've seen Demolition Man a lot, and that probably should come soon to the good, bad, what near you because that movie is Ooh. rad. But um, that's but one yes. of those movies that that it could be a good, a bad, or a what, depending on we where could just we, we do end up an episode it. on Demolition. It's just Man Demolition. And <laughs> An hour and a half of talking about Demolition Day. That would be all three categories. I mean, we could just do a commentary. Why not? We should. That should. We were, we're kicking around that idea. So stay yeah, tuned. Sure. Stay tuned, listeners, for, for yeah. some new and exciting things. Things, but, things in the pipeline. Uh, um, <laughs> but. Because <laughs> things is in the pipeline. Um, but. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to look at my notes, and my notes are almost nonsensical because I was having a really hard time like because, keeping track of the movie. Because the movie's nonsensical, it doesn't. Yes, like all you like note thing explodes, note <laughs> shootout, no. <Yeah. laughs> uh, I think you're just reading the script. Um, 
<laughs> but no, so in Demolition Man, of course, he catches Wesley Snipes. They put him into cryogenic freezing, and then he gets unfrozen at a later date. In this world, the if if you are a criminal, they basically suck out your soul. I they, I don't they like translate your consciousness to a, a holographic image that is physically taken from your body. And then you are put inside of a capsule that is uploaded to a digital prison wherein your consciousness is basically um, subjected to forced therapy in order to rehabilitate you. And then after X amount of years or whatever in uh, this digital prison, if you've been rehabilitated, they will return you to your body that's been kept in cryostasis and then you can resume your life now as a rehabilitated citizen. Um, this seems like a misapplication of this technology because they say that like the murder rate and the crime rate in Los Angeles is at an, a historic all time high and everybody's killing each other. And to me, I'm like, well, yeah, the secret to immortality is murdering your fellow citizens. Like, <laughs> of yes. course, if you're like, Hey guys, if you commit murder, we're just going to upload your consciousness to a machine and then wake you back up in another 10 years. You're gonna be like, Oh, Okay, like I'll never die. I can just <laughs> and that's where the movie does get like confused with its own sort of premise, be- like or or it's even like blender premise because, like you said, if you're following the Demolition Man, the, like Demolition Man was years in the future, and then they created mm-hmm. this like sanitized. I, I, I hesitant to call it a utopia, but it's a utopia for some people where there's like no crime, right, yeah. no like, but and no swearing, no swearing, the three shells. The three sh- the the popular music or jingles from back in the day that they listen to on the radio um but like in this movie because this movie is also trying to it's uh not only is it a knockoff of demolition man but you already mentioned robocop like that's where this also comes into play because like there's a ocp like corporate company that is taking over the police force and Mm -hmm. so because they feel they needed to step in uh, because crime is at an all-time high, which like, yeah, it doesn't. The the whole hologram thing doesn't make sense, and also their whole like big thing was we're gonna put this giant shield over Los Angeles. It's like the, it's like I know it's a much later movie, but like I know in our catch up last year, like our summer catch up, we talked about Lightyear where they like make the laser shield. They're like, no, 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 that's the plan we're going with. Like that, that's <laughs> that's this movie. <laughs> like, no, we're going to put this big shield up. Like, cool. Let's see how that works out for you. Um, but not only, not only is it like a big deal in Los Angeles, like literally the president of the United States just like has residency in LA and he's just there looking like, like, uh, uh, Oh God. Like Jim Morrison, uh, just wearing sunglasses 24 seven, uh, lazing around and just kind of like vaguely, like vaguely or overtly, depending on the scene, threatening people. Um, the, this movie has like some sort of political commentary that is just bonkers. Like it's it, muddled it's, it, to to a degree. I'm like, I don't know what side of the aisle this movie is. Trying it's almost to anarchist, do. but like the the literal anarchist in the movie is the bad guy. So I'm like, I don't know what side we're falling. It's like it's calling for fascism of a certain degree, but like it only of like this certain stripe that isn't respected enough sort of. It's like a it's like a death wish to uh to a, a, a umpteenth degree where like Charles Bronson should have been 
the emperor at the end of death wish sort of wish fulfillment kind of yeah i mean i guess if you, you that's a that's a pretty bleak way to look at it but i think it's <laughs> but i think that's not unfounded either the I mean, way that this movie ultimately that's the ends arc of his character <laughs> of of uh of dakota's character you mean yeah like, yeah no it's true that's that's a, oh man we're getting I didn't think we. Who'd have thought that Hologram Man would be the headiest discussion well, that we would have? <laughs> More heady than Dark City. <laughs> Man. Um, so yes, the <laughs> the prison system is a a computer based prison system where, like you said, you take your soul and you force therapy them, and um, that doesn't work out well um, if we're dealing with. <laughs> If we're dealing with the, uh, yeah, surprise, um, if we're dealing with the plot structure of Hologram Man, um, pretty much uh, Slash Gallagher's prison break is exactly the same as Simon Phoenix in, in Demolition Man, where oh, he's sure. up for a parole hearing after X amount of years. Um, and, of course, he's got somebody on the inside who's able to bust him out. Um and and in this case, it's uh, it's it's uh, J.F. William Sanderson. Yeah, William Sanderson. I was like, I forgot his name for a second. I just know his Blade Runner character, but uh, mm-hmm. it's William Sanderson, who's able to get uh, basically freeze the systems to where, like, when he talks shit to like the parole board, they're like, okay, well, clearly he's not rehabilitated. We got to put him back in, but they're able to freeze it, and he's able to escape. Um, but he's just like a living hologram. <laughs> Now, which, like, if you're a hologram, you shouldn't be able to, like, have physical, uh, like, your see-through, you're, you're nothing. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. it's, this, I mean, that's the hollow in hologram. <laughs> this movie doesn't know that, though, Chris. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> there's a fundamental misunderstanding of what holograms are from the person who wrote the script for Hologram Man. And it makes the movie magical because you're just like, oh, okay, you're just a, a, a three-dimensional uh, uh, image made from light. Okay, cool. Like, well, no, actually, I can completely interact with the physical world. I can hack computers whenever I feel like. I can travel over phone I lines like the internet. <laughs> I can type. Well, you, that, can, that... you can put um, – God, what is that, that stage makeup? Um Oh. smells like fish and it's terrible i know what you're talking about i don't know the name of it but yes you could just and 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 it's totally not done for budgetary purposes of the movie no so, no totally not <laughs> hologram cool uh but we're gonna put this makeup on you so you could blend in the real world i was like oh really no it isn't so that you can't do a special effect shot the entire movie no 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 i i know no, no. <laughs> uh Oh man! So I'm trying to re- regroup the thread. Uh, he, I he... I, for, I forget what they call it. it. It's it's you know it's latex of a sort. But right. I I know that I had some back in in college that we would I would use for like my um like our short films and stuff. Whenever I needed to do wounds or whatever, I had like a bottle of it, and it smells like oh, it's a, like a rank uh, like fish tank. And at some point in the movie, you got um, William Sanderson who's like their computer nerd and uh you mentioned uh 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 you know his character from Blade Runner I didn't see Blade Runner until later in my life and so whenever I see William Sanderson I think about him in my favorite episode of uh or not my favorite episode but one of my favorite episodes of the X-Files which is Blood um uh. 
he's great in that show. Um, but I always love seeing that, that, that character, but he's, he shows him like it's a polymer mold. And because your ions are negatively charged, uh, well, this is, this is positively charged. And so then it goes over your skin. Um, so we can put this mold over you and make you look like whoever we want you to look like. And so then it, it introduces like this dark man element of like, Oh, okay. Like in Darkman, he can use his technology to change his face and he can look like whoever he wants to do. So this Slash Gallagher guy is going to get up to some like real goofy, wild and crazy shit. Uh, spoiler. He he doesn't at all. I don't. I, no. I, does Sla- he, Slash he, never he, take somebody else's form? No, uh, I, I think Dakota does at one point. Yes. But but uh, but Slash Gallagher never does. He's just like, yep, I'm Slash Gallagher and I'm yep, going to it's me <laughs> and wreck, wreak havoc on people. He never takes anybody else's form. He's just like straight up because, I mean, he's he's enough of a megalomaniac that you're like that, and maybe a little bit egotistical he, given yeah. that he wrote the script of the movie that he's like, nah, man, like I'm a this indestructible hologram. I don't yeah. need to disguise myself. I want people to know it was me. It's like uh, like uh, I, I forget the character uh, from Game of Thrones. You know better than me. The, the tell Cersei it was me like he's oh. that, he's that person where like i want people to know that i am yeah. doing this um, yeah that was a. I I remember her I, I remember the character i don't remember her name anymore it's been so long and i've had game of thrones out of the mind because it fucked me um but the the queen of roses or whatever the the house tyrell uh, yes. marjorie tyrell's mother or grandmother um but no but it's it's interesting because like he tells slash that you have this ability to do that and it does make sense that slash wouldn't want to be anyone other than himself but it's funny that there's a main plot point in the movie where slash wants to get back to his body which is like again you're now a mortal and a superhuman why do you want to go back to your body like you have all of the apparently all of the same attributes of being just a normal human with powers beyond that as we see later on with uh um dakota you can still put on like the latex rubber suit and bang your lady if that's the thing that you're into like that's still totally in the books if you're a hologram so like you're literally not missing out on anything you just have in addition to that extra superpowers so like but that's just another one of those threads that's just abandoned like dakota shoots his body because he's like i know he wants to come back for this so bam 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 (laughs) shoots it and then he's just like that bummer (laughs) like he doesn't even really care about it well yeah i think his line was it's not really nice what you did to my body back there yeah (laughs) that's exactly (laughs) but he's just like yeah whatever now i'm like immortal uh yeah whatever now i'm just gonna continue to be a hologram it's just like yeah why was that not your plan in the first place this is fucking sweet yeah, like you, you have this invincibility. Like, why wouldn't you do that? It's it's uh, yeah, it's it's really convoluted. Like it, it like like I said, you're 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 in it for the explosions. That's like yes. where it is because like you're if you stop to think about the point A to point B of this, like you're gonna you're gonna you'd be a fried egg because you're like that, that doesn't make sense. That doesn't make the sense. screenwriter that didn't stop sense. to think about point A to point B. He he's well, just no, barreling through. We well he does that in the movie too. <laughs> We watch it, which like I I gotta say I went to my letterbox and I was like I've seen like 
almost 50% of the movies Evan Lurie was in. He's got like 14 credits, and I've seen like half of them. (laughs) Hologram (laughs) Man, Martial Law 2, uh, Tiger Claws 2 with Cynthia Rothrock. Uh, A lot of twos, apparently, in his filmography. But um, but anyway, uh, yeah, and then... (laughs) And then Dakota becomes a hologram at some point. Oh, yeah. Because he's got to, uh, this is after he shoots his uh, body. And then Mm. he's getting, he he becomes, this is where like one of the RoboCop elements comes in. Where he's basically like Peter Weller. And like keeps getting just like blown entirely away. But then his lady friend's able to get him into the the hologram maker machine. Machine. Somehow before his body like fully gives out um to to make him a hologram and then like she's like william sanderson's got a lab or whatever she's got just got it in a jar like the latex and like fully detailed everything looks great (laughs) just a just a jar of latex and nothing else it just looks like got a stubble perfect uh the last thing that we see when we cut back is her using one of those like spray like makeup spray guns to do a one single pass to paint over his eye. So he just got the cornea, the pupil, like all the intricacies of the human eye. There you go. There, yep. oh, there it is with single pass and it's all completely. And it's just like you said, they're just trying to skimp on the budget for the, the shot. But it's just one of those things that makes it extra ridiculous where they're like, you have to buy this. And it's just like, I fucking don't. But OK, like, well, I'm still I, here. I, I yeah. Yes, thank you. You you put it way better than I could. I don't buy it, but I'm still here. Like I'm I'm on board. Like you got me. I'm not going anywhere. This is a blast, but it's really this stupid. is not going to be the thing that makes me turn away from this movie. Like sure, all right. Yeah. Well, and then they bang, and it's like a comedy shot because like the the everything gets like electric and overcharged. Like and it's like it's literally like you know you mentioned Hot Shots Part Two, and it re- literally reminds me of like this sex scene in that where it's like uh uh they do like the basic instinct uh oh thing yeah, where yeah. she pulls out the, the screwdriver and the wd-40 to fix the bed <laughs> but like and the, actually, the the cab driver like uh getting ever increasing <laughs> uh, large cameras to take photos well actually if you want to go back to last week another callback it's kind of like the courtney cox jim carrey sex scene in ace ventura where like the animals oh get God. louder and all of that, whereas like this, like like the electricity and things start smoking, like ah, nudge, nudge, you get what's happening. Like yes, I do. I am an adult. I understand what is going on now. Uh, but when we already started with a sex scene six minutes in, that's one of the most graphic things I've seen outside of porn. Uh, it, it's like whatever. Like this scene, yeah. this is like oh, we're we're actually using like allusions to them having sex instead of just showing like D and the G <laughs> slapping Which, away. Would you settle for PG thirteen? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but uh, and then they introduce. Oh my god, they introduce this stupid and it it has no bearing whatsoever. Where uh, a scientist woman introduced to Dakota that like you can't go fight him because his I didn't have time to like make your entire like profile, so you're weaker than Slash. So. Yeah. But he's like, you know, is like I'm the only one who could go fight. I almost did a Stallone voice. I don't know why. It just seems like something he would <laughs> no, say. I gotta I'm do the only it, one who can go fight him. <laughs> so, <laughs> you gotta cut me, Mick. <laughs> but uh, it's it's so silly. It is. It is. 
I have no other words besides that. It's silly. (laughs) It perfectly encapsulates it is that it's silly, but it's like hard R adult silly. (laughs) Yes. Well, that's the thing. It's like the movie's got, it's loaded with sex. It's loaded with violence, like gratuitous violence. Like you said, squibs, explosions, people explode. Like, uh, Mm -hmm. like, like uh, there's like a face melting scene with uh, the latex of Dakota there's a scene where uh, like a like a governor is strapped to a bomb and Dakota's partner gets murdered, gets blown much, up, yeah, much like uh, much like uh, Corey Stahl in the Batman. Uh, yes, with, like it's like almost the exact same shot when uh, Robert Pattinson's. Are you Batman trying to tell me back. that the Batman was inspired by Hologram Man? Because that just makes me love the Batman more. All I'm saying is we need to get Matt Reeve on Matt Reeves on the horn and ask some questions. I mean, in the same year that Hologram Man came out, Matt Reeves, because he's been around a while, wrote the screenplay for Under Siege 2, Dark Territory. So I'm not saying that it is, but I'm not saying that it isn't either. The Riddler does make me think of Slash Gallagher, now that you mention it. I he, he just doesn't look like Jonathan Davis from no, no, Florida, which is the, the biggest detriment to the Batman. Is <laughs> they needed a villain who looks like Jonathan Davis. Uh, <laughs> they need him right now. Uh, <laughs> I'm surprised it took me this long to make a corn reference. To, yeah, to do a corn reference. Um, no, I mean, I think we're both uh, wholeheartedly in agreement that you should stop everything you're doing right now and go I like I don't care what it is you like you're delivering a baby you need to leave the room and you need to go watch hologram man and then come Hospitals back Hospitals have TVs up. you could you could fire it up and- <laughs> everyone's got a smartphone just get that shit going on the bedside table uh no it, it, it's fantastic it's so enjoyable so fun especially if you can watch it in a group uh just watching everyone just collectively just kind of have a brain melt uh is amazing it's yeah i i know this episode probably went off the rails a little bit but that's okay because this movie goes off the rails so it's <laughs> it's it's fitting and and uh like it's it's so fun like i i really cannot stress how fun this movie is like i i had such a blast re-watching it and i will continuously watch this movie and i will recommend it to anybody who cross paths and wants to watch something like silly like to the point where i'm like a lot of like my local theaters in the area like offer the opportunity to rent the theater, and I'm like, I kind of want to just rent it, show a bunch of people hologram. Worth it, honestly. It would be worth it. It would be worth it. I, I mean, during the pandemic, we rented a theater just to go watch uh, Hot Fuzz, which was oh, a good yeah. time. But I, I think I think nowadays, if you need to be more selective, I'm assuming that the the prices to rent theaters nowadays are probably higher than they were during the height of the pandemic. Um, but if you were going to do it for one movie, do it hologram, hologram man. It's, it's got to be on that short list. I rented a theater and showed Twister's revenge. So oh, I mean, hell yeah. I'm, I'm right. not above. I'm not, or I'm not beneath showing, uh, above uh, whatever. It doesn't matter. This movie's hurt my brain. I'm not above showing <laughs> hologram man. is what I'm saying. Uh, I'm so. not above or below. I'm, I'm right on the level. I'm on the wavelength man. of hologram man. It, it is, uh, <laughs> the, like I said, it's the pinnacle of PM entertainment. Which has no shortage of fun movies like Maximum Force with Sam Jones uh, mm-hmm. is a blast. Cyber Tracker with Don the Dragon Wilson and Cyber Tracker Two. Um, it's a shame they didn't make a second Hologram Man. Like, and I know you mentioned that. Like, you know, I mean, obviously, it probably will never will happen. But it's just like 
I'm surprised that it maybe it didn't do as well on the VHS market as Cyber Tracker. I don't uh, know. I mean, but Don the Dragon. I, I mean, again, I can't thing. find any, any information on like budget or you know it doesn't have a box office, so I like I don't know how well, yeah. well it did at all. It's hard to say. I mean, only they would know. And obviously, again, like I said, by the by the evidence that they made the Cyber Tracker two must tell me that that one did better. I mean, Don the Dragon Wilson's a bit more of like kind of a name not a huge name but more of a name than joe laura or uh, evan lurie in this instance mm. but uh but yeah you should watch hologram man it's it's great it's like there's a dvd out there like 100 percent, go watch it i think it's on youtube i want to say um i try not to point it people is. that way but i believe that, it's that's on where YouTube. i watched it it's okay. on youtube yeah, um it's fair. <laughs> and i do want to point out that uh evan lurie who was the screenwriter this is literally his only screenwriter credit. Yes. Uh, everything else he's done is, has been as an actor. Um, so, I mean, if, if you gotta get, if you want to get back in that saddle, Evan, it, start a Kickstarter. I will throw some money your way. I would love to see a hologram man too. I will um, produce the whole slash his revenge. I will throw a Kickstarter to fund the Kickstarter. If that's the case, <laughs> I, I will produce it. I will direct it. I don't, I don't care. I will make it happen. I will be um, an extra, and and you can have an explosion go off nearby, and I will I will jump in the air as if thrown <laughs> by it. Yes, but yeah, Hologram Man is an absolute is an absolute blast, and you should hundred percent watch it. Um, these were your picks, so I'll ask you if you have any other thoughts before we wrap this episode up. Uh, I mean, my only thought is that in terms of the movies that we've done so far and lists we've done so far, this is probably our loosest because I was just like, I'm just going to pick three sci-fi movies from right around the same era that were from before The Matrix. Um, <laughs> they, they really don't have much of a relation to The Matrix, but uh, I, I, I hope that we were able to give a good smattering of flavors from, you know, the, the mid-90s uh, slash late-90s, 98s, kind of late-90s. Um, and I hope that everybody goes out and watches all three of these movies. Like we said, like there's there's merit amongst all three of the movies, and they're all worth a watch. And I think that the the '90s era of sci-fi for me is quite possibly my favorite era of sci-fi movies. Um, they're 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 very strange. They're they're all very very weird and trying desperately to find an identity for themselves. And so whenever you want. A, a good splash of color, a, a good splash of weirdness in your life. I think finding any sci-fi from the nineties uh, is going to be a, a good safe bet. I, I think that's fair. I think that's a good spot to wrap it up. And uh, yeah, I would just agree. I'd say that, uh, you know, I agree with the, the part where you said that all these movies have merit. Like I, I wouldn't dissuade people from watching any of them, but, uh, but I would urge you to watch hologram man probably as soon as possible. <laughs> I, I will um, beg you to watch hologram. <laughs> <laughs> um but next week uh before we wrap this episode up proper it's uh it's i was gonna say it's a joint pick but it's kind of your pick again which is totally okay because you initially came up with this category and yeah. no i figured there's no better time to really talk about this category in particular because you were listening to this episode on friday february 24th and today is the opening day for cocaine bear um, yes, which I'm very excited to go see. Uh, I think you are too. So, yes. in honor of Cocaine Bear, we're going to be talking about movies about killer bears. Mm-hmm. So, 
I don't see any other time or place that this would be an applicable uh, category to discuss. So I am very much looking forward to it. Uh, I, I don't even remember what prompted me to put this on the list. I put this on the list like over a year ago. Easy. Uh, oh, probably. Yeah. And I think it might like one of our picks. I like saw a trailer for it and it was just like, that looks interesting. And then combined the rest of the picks. So like, honestly, I've only seen one of the movies on this list. So going into the next week, I there might be some mix arounds, and uh, that's part of the reason why we don't reveal the picks early is because I don't know I might change them before we actually record next week. I appreciate that honesty because I will counter your honesty <laughs> with even more honesty and saying you've seen one of those movies, and that's one more than I have seen. So I've not seen any of these movies. So they could all we, be swapped out or in a different position. I yeah, we'll see. We'll see. But uh, all I know is Cocaine Bear is out there, and uh, mm-hmm. I think this is. A good time to talk about some killer bear movies but in the meantime you can find all of our episodes well you can't find our episodes on our website though i will get a new website soon oh i know i haven't (laughs) changed this at all uh (laughs) but you can subscribe to us on apple Podcasts, spotify stitcher iHeartRadio, anchor.fm google Podcasts, and pretty much any other podcaster of your choice and you could follow us on instagram and hive at the good bad what and you can email us at the good the bad what at gmail.com and, of course, our logo comes from Michelle Parkos, and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you can find in the show notes, respectively. Chris, where can more people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Letterboxd at C underscore T-H-O-M. You sound so excited about it. Ah, yeah, You can also find me there, Ryan underscore Oliver, and thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with Killer Bears. 